Okay, so this is what you've all been waiting for. Um, this is going to be part two of our podcast with Danny Cook, looking through his career as a football coach and his coaching journey. So we'll be covering a little bit more now on, on his time in London um, and what he's been doing really since moving to London in 2015 and that part of the coaching journey. So I hope you're looking forward to hearing more about that in part two. But before we begin, uh, it's a little reminder that you can catch up on all of our previous episodes on our website, which is halftimecupper.com, or by searching via iTunes, just type Halftime Cuppa into your search. Thank you. And over to to me and Danny now to talk about part two of our chat. Well, to go back to your refereeing point earlier about you getting involved in it, and yeah. something that you've mentioned that's piqued my interest. Can you can you think of any aspects of where doing a refereeing course and being a referee has affected your coaching ability? Has it had an adverse effect? Has it maybe given you a different understanding of what a coach has to do? Or vice versa, has your coaching experience affected how you referee? Is there a feeling of understanding there that maybe abstract and the two are quite separate? Ooh, that's again fantastic question for me there's so many transferable skills and although they may seem quite separate there's so many that that interlinked with each other so i mean the first one from a you know that i picked up i felt i picked up during my refereeing and can display now in my coaching certainly on match days was you get that instinct you get that taste so when you're refereeing there's I'll, as as I'm sure you know, as a football fan, um, there's moments in games where and the intensity gets uh, a lot higher and there's moments when it decreases. As a ref, if you're doing like a 90-minute game or an 80-minute game, I think I you know on some, some weekends I would do, or some Sundays I'd do three games back-to-back. I mean, they weren't 80 minutes, they were probably more so 70 or 60 minutes. But you know, by that third game, you were you were shattered. You yeah, were you were out for the count. Lot, There's no denying that. There's a lot of running, and you know, you could, for me, I, my approach to that was I I didn't want to half-ass it when it when it came to the positional stuff with refereeing. And a lot of refereeing is positional, from my understanding, is positional and, and personal relationships. So positionally, I, I didn't want to half-ass it. I wanted to make sure I was always on top of the action, always in a really credible position, because uh, from a refereeing perspective, if you're in a credible position a, you know, a couple yards away, then someone down the other end of the pitch, they may question the decision, but you've got so much more credibility by standing maybe five yards away, ten yards away, than if you were... Was the other end of the pitch still in the penalty area um, and that's 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 my kind of pet hate when I see refs now from a flip side is um, not so much the decision because I feel like you know <laughs> the decision yeah you 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 got more chance of getting it right if you're a little bit closer yeah definitely but it, I, I'm sure you've experienced there's some great refs that ref from an absolute mile away it feels like but just being closer to the play and having that credibility, I think, is, is huge when it comes to refing. So going back to that and linking it in to my point of that you got those those feelings in games is you had two two games before, you're into the fire you're into the second half, your final half of football on a on a Sunday, and you can read or I, I could read or anticipate when the game was starting to boil over or not. And if it wasn't, if the tempo was down, then that is the the time that as a ref, you can afford yourself a little bit of luxury in terms of resting. If you need to rest, you know, have a little bit of a breather, tone the intensity down because it's not possible to go 100% throughout the whole game. And that's something I don't expect from my players, 100% whole game. But it's then understanding that as soon as things do switch, so whether that be a decision that you may make that is actually incorrect or a decision that you make that is correct that upsets the team, little key moments in games can change, obviously, the intensity of the game. And then all of a sudden it is now a heated game. And I, I don't, I, you know, obviously I want to make clear I wasn't being neglectful in the sense that I wasn't 
just sort of had my deck chair out. Uh, I was like, you know, for the next five, ten minutes, I'm just going to sit here, uh, let you guys let you guys play the game and rest of the game. Of course not, yeah. No, of course I was still looking for stuff, but it's, it's the whole element of, and I guess this is the thing, until you've been out there, until you've reffed, you won't really understand or appreciate those moments in a game where whether it's the final five minutes or just a five minutes where everything can boil over and that next tackle could basically spark spark up a, a bit of a, a dispute between the teams. So I think that that was one thing. And in the coaching sense, taking that is, is more, I guess, some of my substitutions have come from that instinct of, of knowing, okay, well, the game's, the game's kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of lowing out at the moment. So maybe I can, maybe I could do this to change the, the situation. I think that's, that's, that's a real characteristic that I picked up from, or a real quality, sorry, I picked up from Refin. And again, the other, the other flip side of that would be the rapport. Now, I don't know about you, Rob, but uh, when I'm coaching, the refs that stand out to me are the ones that build that rapport with you. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it makes sense that those who explain all their actions or at least talk you through it are the ones that are probably ones that you have a little bit more respect for. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. And for anyone listening in who is a ref or has got any aspirations of being a ref, I, I would say the number one golden rule you should do before a game is obviously you get there early you make yourself known to all the players all the coaches uh, it doesn't mean you go around with a megaphone or mega horn going on <laughs> the ref for today's game it means um, going up to the coaches shaking their hand taking an interest in in how they're getting on this season what you know then you can slip in any questions you have related to your match reports or whether it be how many players have you got today obviously for some match reports you need that and then just talking through have they got a linesman have know all that kind of thing and just building that rapport with with people certainly coaches from a refereeing perspective will save you so much issues so many issues it's really worth doing and you're like you said i think even if for me if a ref explains their decision if it's wrong i can at least understand that they've had a thought process and there's a reason why now it may be an under maybe a miss understanding of application of law or it may be a misunderstanding full stop or it may be a little bit subjective but at least i've i've got that insight as to what that that ref has seen and that comes about that that discussion comes about off the back of really that first impression of going to meet the, the coach saying hello i think one of the things i used to say was any problems let me know i think trying to break the the ice between everyone i think does help and uh, certainly with the players obviously the thing i all refs should do is your your equipment check i go and chat with the with the players see if they're all okay um, ask them how they're getting on this season maybe banter them about football who they support all that kind of thing um, just to try and win win a, a sense of respect or an understanding as to why i'm here and i'm not just a number or I'm not just a, a solid figure that they can't talk to I'm someone that they they can have discussion with obviously in appropriate tone and in an appropriate way but yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's not just a one-way thing okay um, so that's good sorry one last one on that Rob so to, um, keep going but, I mean the rapport and the the um I sound of the tempo is what I've taken out of that but if you have another snippet please go ahead Thank you. So on top of that rapport, a really good example. There was a, a football league ref. I forget his name. He did a talk a couple of years ago. And I, I nicked this one off of the back of that, really. When you're calling in the captains at the start of the game, what he does, and obviously it's a higher level, but he said he also does it when he's doing a, a Sunday Sunday league game or whatever. He, he tries to get the uh, captain's name. Because by getting the captain's name and remembering remembering the captain's name, you're already breaking down that 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 barrier. And what I say to my captains before a game anyway is they are them 
and myself, they, we're, we're the third team on the pitch, really. Um, obviously, myself and the, the, the two linesmen. But we're, between us, we're, we're, the, we're the team, the third team on the pitch because I ask them you know, if if they know any characters that are a little bit chirpy, I'm, I'm going to need your help. I, I don't want to have to uh, give out yellow cards or, or send someone off for, for something that we can fix and we can work together on. So I think bringing people in and empowering, I guess, the captains as well, I think definitely helps. So, yeah, really, really from that sense, I think a lot of the refereeing was transferable into coaching. Obviously, the the application of laws and knowing the, the laws of the game definitely helps anyway. But <laughs> I, I, think, um, I think that's underrated because there's so many coaches out there, particularly the offence at grassroots level, that don't know the rules. So they'll shout at something and referee. And I remember because we obviously we worked together. There were so many opportunities where you say no, but actually it's not correct, and you explain the reason why. And if the opposition coaches will listen to you, fair enough. But having that. It's almost like having like um, um, a, re- a reference point, having a referee there who's also a coach, because they, they understand the laws of the game better than a coach would, I think, in general. Because there's, there's always something that we don't know the coach or the referee will know, because that's their role. So I think it's mm. always helpful to know just as much the referee does that any small area needs to be explained. I think it's really, really helpful. Yeah, that's a fair point. And there was a game this season. I don't like criticising refs and I don't want to because I know I'm, I am I was in their shoes and I still am and I want to support people. Um, so, you know, when I'm questioning a decision, it, it tends to be either in ref language or <laughs> tends to be really calm and composed. And um, one, one of the games uh, this year, I uh, the ref played an advantage and... He played an advantage in our defensive third. Uh, he's quite an experienced ref, so that 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 was why I, I would question the decision. You know, if it's someone I, I and I knew this ref anyway. Like uh, he's a nice guy. He, he is a good ref, but I wanted to obviously question that decision. So he's playing an advantage, and I'm saying to him, you know, why why are you? There's no advantage there. You're playing an advantage in a in a in a red zone, uh, or an amber going into a red zone. Um, and what, what, you know, for, for those that don't know yeah, what it is, you. very Ooh. basically, <laughs> yeah, so the pitch is obviously split into thirds. And what I got taught, and, you know, it may not be relevant now, but the game may have moved on. But what I got taught was you don't play or you <laughs> really shouldn't play advantages when you're in your defensive third. Or if you're sort of top of... You know, where this position was, was it was top of red going into amber, but amber going back into red. So it was like really on the cusp. So that was my point. Why? Why? Because the player was facing our own goal. So he was go- the, the only direction he was going in was going back towards our goal. So my point was, what advantage have we gained from us going back towards our own goal when... You know, I think it was a corner or something like that. There was no break. There was nothing, you know, there was nothing on for us. So it, it really should have been a free kick. Um, and Mitchell completely grilled me for that because he, he found it hilarious that I was uh, chatting. So Mitchell's my flatmate here, one of my flatmates. He is a fellow coach at Kinger. And yeah, he found it hilarious. So I was talking in, in some kind of ref language. Uh, uh, I, I get it. I think, I think for anyone listening, um, I think I can maybe interpret that is that Basically, if you want an advantage, it has to be in, in your own attacking third, basically. Is that right, then? There's no advantage retaken if it's Well, I third. mean, <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing as well. There's a lot of grey subjectiveness to it, really. And for me, like I say, if there was a clear counter-attack on and we end up scoring, of course, you know, I look like a, a Muppet then. Um, but for me, I felt there was zero. Like, there was no... And I guess because I had that insight that little bit of i guess game instinct as well there was no advantage we was disadvantaged by that so that that was my my point and yeah just to clarify obviously you know as i say the, the ref was was a good ref and um you know i've not had any issues with any any other refs really in terms of any dissent or disputes or anything like that I, i'm very supportive i just want to want to clear that up i'm, I'm not a <laughs> critical guy <laughs> no, but within reason you can always critique someone especially if you know the rules yourself and you know 
um, an area that they may have overlooked as well. I'm sure you know, the coaching fraternity in, the, in our world, you know, we, we always encourage to go and speak to referee at half time in, in a respectful manner, of course, if we dispute mm. something, just to understand from their perspective why you did that and why they may have done that. So, no, no harm in asking the question in a respectful and peaceful manner, I would say. Right, so let, let's fast forward a bit. So, Waverley and Lowestock has given you a really good grounding in your coaching world, and you've now gone off and done some refereeing as well on top of that. Um, so, if we look back to, is it four years ago when you moved to London? Is that correct, 2016? Well, I want to say 20... Yeah, it's, it's either we was here 2016, and that was my first year at Kinja, or as in my first couple of months at Kinja, or 2015. Um, it was one of those years, It's you know, it feels like so long ago, I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> <laughs> it goes so quick. So, yeah, after, you know, at the time when I'm talking about me refereeing, I was probably in high school, and I, I carried on doing my refing and coaching there. I then did a, a bit of coaching. Um, we had a, when I was in sixth form, we had a um, FA mashup sort of centre for for uh, teenage girls. So I was helping with that as well. So that was really good. But really, at that point, the focus was more so on refereeing. As I said, you know, given I was very fortunate to do a lot of cup finals, um, local, you know, local local cup finals, local youth cup finals. Um, I did a county cup final, which was quite fun as well, and obviously refed it or officiated a lot of um, academy games down at Ipswich. And um, I guess the real highlight just before I, I moved on was this showcase game they had at Portman Road. So um, for those who are unfamiliar, Portman Road is Ipswich's home ground. So. I want to say it's close to like 30,000, 25,000. Yeah. Big, big stadium. Big, yeah. Big white stadium so, now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It <laughs> is. So I was selected along with a couple of other officials and I was the assistant referee for the showcase game. So at the end of their season, they would always have a showcase game against another academy for the under 16 age group to signify their end, their rite of passage sort of through through the academy. And um, they played Tottenham. That has to be one of my favourite officiating experiences because I remember, I mean, I was so nervous, I'm not going to lie, between 25 to 30,000 seat a stadium. But yeah, I think the attendance yeah. the attendance was, you know, 2,000. But I mean, even that alone, like, is, is, is blooming scary. Yeah, um, it's big for audio. But the, the real highlight had to be the warm-up. And the reason I say that is because, you know, the, the warm-up, you came out of the, the tunnel, you warmed up on the pitch. You had Ipswich warming up one end, Tottenham down the other end. It was a lovely, gorgeous, uh, sunny summer's day. And um, it was, they had, they had um, music blasting out through their sound system i remember the song Coldplay magic oh, uh, oh you know what it, it was one of those like you, just as we come out and you're, you're taking it all in and you're like oh my word like it was one of those moments where your your hairs are standing up because you just can't can't believe it it feels so almost like surreal and yeah i mean it was a really good game really competitive game can't remember for the life of me who won i think it may have been Ipswich, but we got a program that's a good thing about refing you know if you're at certain levels you've got programs and games as well yeah and actually i checked that one i've got uh there was a number of players from that game that went on to play in I'd sort of the, in the football league i don't think anyone has broken into sort of premier league really um too much but it was quite impressive really when you look back and you're like oh i recognize that name yeah um, a, a good opportunity for you so was that just before then you made the the move to london that correct that, that game yeah so that was kind of like my last hurrah i guess really was those moments before sort of leaving I was lucky enough to do a county cup final just before I left as well, which was, say, a, 
like I wrecked that one. That was a really unique experience, really tasty game as well. And I mean, at that point, yeah, I I, I think I started doing men's football as well. I mean, that that was like nerve wracking in its own mind as well, men's football. But I started it before I, I then came up here. So obviously Wembley to study a football business and media degree at UCFB and to, to give a, a sort of short summary of, of my experience at uni I really enjoyed it I went to pretty much I want to say 95% of guest speakers that they put on they put on loads of guest speakers throughout the, the time I was there uh, most notably Southgate um, who was on now and England manager then as well when he did it Harry Redknapp was one Niall Quinn was another one um, so there was it was a real range of guest speakers as well. Yeah, it wasn't just James players. Games. Yeah. So that that was really good, and listening to their stories made it really interesting, and to learn. I mean, a couple of the things they did there as well. They had additional courses you could do. These were sort of, as I say, additional stuff you do on the side of your normal course, and one of those was like, um, it was called uh, Neil Doncaster's Management Games. Oh. And uh, Neil, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, well, it's called that because it was uh, Neil Doncaster who 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 ran it. Um, okay, apologies. <laughs> so um, he he's now the I think the chief exec for the SPFL. He used to be Norwich chief exec as well, um, oh, which made okay. it quite interesting. He ran like a lot of additional uh, sessions, so it'd be like a couple of presentations on his experiences and one of the best bits was the actual crisis management stuff um, which we did which was a lot about but you were put in a situation as a club um, and within your 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 team because you had like four or five people per team you had to come up with press releases how you would solve certain situations what would be your approach but yeah it was really interesting really good and you do press conferences and he he would grill you and it was good fun UCFB gave me a lot of good opportunities um did a commentary course as well which was great also did some public speaking they had an entrepreneur competition and obviously that that helped with our site as well halftime cuppa yeah yeah I think um, you mentioned you, you won the competition didn't you is that correct? Yeah, we we was one of the runners up, um, so we 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 got some support from them and got a, a nice degree. Had some fantastic tutors, met some great people. Obviously, living with Harry and, and Mitchell, two friends from uni, and, and and made loads and loads of good friends. But I guess that sort of first year there, I was I don't really remember what I was doing for the first couple months in terms of my weekends and stuff like that but I knew after that I had to get a job so I think it got to about October time November time so quite early really but we we moved into our halls like August so you're talking maybe two months down the line two three months in I applied for a position at this sort of kid's birthday place it's no longer here <laughs> um, and I saw that they had an indoor football pitch and I thought uh, yeah why not why not let's let's try and help there so interviewed, got the job and, you know, I started working there and the the team there, it was quite a small team. The team there didn't really take any interest in football. So when it came to football parties, they were all given to me. Um, so I had all, right. the, all the football party, which, you know, I, I, I was like over the moon, fantastic, brilliant. That's what I want. It was a really interesting experience. You, you've got to bear in mind, this this indoor football pitch was not big. It was really not big. So, effective, anyone listening, I was talking about three or four metres wide and three or four metres long. Yeah, you, you're probably right in terms of width. The length was probably, I want to say, like 10 metres most. It was really like short and narrow. Um, okay, so very small, three-player aside yeah <laughs> yeah you had to work with what you what you had and they would try and do parties with like 16 people and all this kind Ooh, of thing. okay health and safety i think it was free away yeah of course yeah so i i had to obviously adapt it to make sure that it was small numbers uh very very small numbers so there was a lot of round robin uh tournaments going on but that that was that was interesting because what 
what you had to do with those ones was that first half and I, I mean I was given a template session to work off of I remember receiving it I was like no I'm not doing that I ended up doing my own thing but the first half of the session they wanted you to do a activity which I did anyway like it would be a fun game so whether it be like king of the ring or something like that or a shooting exercise or a passing it was just whatever you could do with what numbers you, you had and what equipment you had as well. Improvisation, well, um, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. big time, big time. And I guess the real sort of improvisation, they tried doing a, a sort of football course there. I was all for actually. I, I didn't suggest it, but it was all I was all for that. I thought, brilliant. I'm glad they're doing it. Um, there was one kid and he was like one year, one year old. And you're thinking, um, oh my God, how am I, am I going to put, put something on for, you know, I'm doing one-to-one session with a one-year-old um and it, it was so much fun because they want you even walk really i mean yeah I, I maybe i'm slightly exaggerating maybe it was one and a half two i, I don't know um you put it this way kid was really really young really ridiculously <laughs> young like literally you could tell it something and the kid would, would still go around knocking down the cones so I had to try and make a game at, you know, like scrapping everything and we'd go, yeah, we scrapped everything and we'd go to what the kid enjoyed, which was kicking the ball, kicking the cones down with the ball or stealing the cones or something like that. Like we, Brilliant. We, really take it back. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of my, my, my experience there. Um, and it was definitely eye opening because of the, the, facilities um but i guess what really ties into the next bit uh, i guess my main real coaching step uh, which which sort of led me to kinja was the just as i think I, I spoke with harry who introduced me to kinja and you know got me to come down and watch mo um watch a couple of his sessions and then put on like a, a taster session with i think it was at the time yours yours girls no, Harry's girls. And it was around that time, I think, I met you as well. I think I met you prior to that first session. I was reffing your game. I'm sure you... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, think we may mention this when I, I kindly was invited on to do my training with you. But yeah, that was my first knowledge of you was seeing you like a fortnight before at a match. And yeah, then we spoke yeah. back into you then and I realised, oh, you're going to be connected with us afterwards. Yeah, I mean, that must have felt weird. From your perspective, yeah, I mean, you weren't that biased, which annoyed me. I thought, sure, you have us, <laughs> sure, you have us a bit, you know, but it was, it was cool to see a fresh face. Always good to see new coaches at the club, so yeah, quite exciting for us all. It was around that time, you know, timeline's probably slightly off, but I've just been introduced to Kinja, and then I was like, you know, how much am I going to be able to commit because of this work at this other place? And then it was like a couple months down the line, the, um, the place actually closed shut his door <laughs> literally you turn up one day and it was closed completely closed um so, so very strange yeah but yeah. i've been to this business before but for those listening yeah that, that's not a normal way of saying goodbye to a job is it very unusual no no it was, it was certainly unexpected and i was like well okay so that was a blessing in disguise because that freed me up to go and pursue coaching with kinja so that 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 was really sort of the what needed to happen to get me into to the club now, really? Excellent. Let's get context before I ask you a couple of questions. Um, so, Kenji Football Club's a, a club based within the Wembley Park area of London, northwest London. Um, a grassroots football club, basically from young two or three year olds all the way up to senior level. So, we have quite a strong link with UCFB, the actual university, and we've been fortunate enough to get quite a few coaches over the last couple of years through that. Um, university one's currently our vice chairman for example and another couple like yourself and Mitchell are coaches within the club as well as a few others so for us as a club getting the coaches in was really exciting but what were you thinking about at that time because you'd done some I would say non-coach related stuff as in working part-time um, were you just putting time in London thinking I would do my degree get it done and then get into full-time work or were you also maybe thinking in the back of your mind, 
maybe I can get back into refereeing again, and maybe I can get back into coaching. But what were your plans in London at that time? So at that kids' party place, I think I was working Saturdays and then refing on Sundays. So right, okay. My ref, my my refing was was probably prominent at that time. But yeah, the looking looking back at it is is quite funny because at that time prior to coming into Kindra, you know, I I I hadn't done a formal coaching qualification at that point so I had all that experience but right. I'd had people around me who had supported or you know that's interesting. Um, like even you know that's why I'm saying I was so thankful in that that respect that I was trusted and empowered because those those around me gave me the opportunity to to go and lead and they they would be the ones who would be seen as the the coach but technically it was me coaching so yeah it was it's interesting because you know you go into a club don't know anyone obviously than than harry and 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 my mates who are just coming through which mitchell and finn tom eric at the time obviously met you (laughs) a couple of weeks before so yeah i i I was looking forward to it i i found it strange coming into a new club given how how long and how much time and how holy waving he was to me um but it you know it obviously paid off it was a great decision and obviously still coaching there now so I think the initially I came in and assisted Mo with I want to say at the time the under 13 boys maybe under 14 because you were them for one year weren't you then the following year I worked with you under 15 mm. level so it must be under 14 then at that age yeah, so just, just, just mentioning that. Carry on. Please. No, no, that's fine. So I was working with them, um, and I think I worked with them because this is this is why I'm saying it's a little bit grey. I think I came in sort of April time, so I sort of caught the trail end of the season, and then had a one full season with Mo and those boys. And yeah, it, it was really good. Still at that point, I didn't really consider coaching as a as a career. Um, or something that I would pursue a lot further. But I enjoyed working with Mo. Loved picking his brains. He had great insight and great sort of opinions on on how the game should be played or how someone should coach. So it was interesting to find out why he felt that way. That opportunity to sort of pluck someone's someone's thoughts and and, and methodology really, really helped develop me. And... um, the, the group of players we had at that time were, I mean, like all the players really I've worked with and I've been lucky to work with, were fantastic. And they were really welcoming to me. Yeah, they were a really special group of players, very talented. I remember we went to a tournament and uh, we got to a final with, with, that, with that group of players. What struck me about Kinja and particularly that team was the atmosphere and the, the the environment so that team was so friendly and that's nothing to say that teams i or places i've been at before hadn't had that but it was just such a unique spin or a unique twist so i know mo had a lot of team socials and a lot of the sessions were focused around can we do technically something really really good Uh, so it could be some skill work one session we got the gopros out we'd have filming and we, we had a laugh it was it was a really good time with that that set of boys i guess on the contrast during that first full season when i was with the boys before that summer you'll put myself and and mitchell on a level one course i think again i think waveney helps us out as well so i think i managed to do a course back home Uh, i think it was part funded by both um so i was really grateful i was was never aware of that okay so you still connect with waveney um, what kind of aspect in your first year of Kinder, is that correct? Yeah, so when I went back, um, this is something I haven't really touched on with, with Waveney as a, as a club so far. They they did holiday clubs. And their holiday clubs were legendary. They were so good. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I coached a number of, of holiday courses. I also did some before Waveney did them. It was a Lowestoft town one. So it's from the actual football club. They did it. And, you know, there's so many little things I picked up from that. And I enjoyed whether it be like they had coaches versus players challenges. Um, <laughs> Sounds fun. 
you know, as you can expect, you know, a little bit of bias going on. Coaches always <laughs> seem to win, um, which, which is quite funny because I used to go on those courses and you'd get so fueled. You'd be like, no, nah, we're going to beat you. We're going to beat the coaches. <laughs> and to go from that to like one or two years later, being a coach on the course is so funny. Like seeing both is like such a unique experience. And I remember, again, I, I mentioned him earlier, a guy called Andy Reynolds. On our final day of a holiday camp, we would have a tournament and um, it would be like throughout the day. So it would be challenges first. You'd do a lot of activities and each activity you scored a point for your team. And there'd be a running total. Oh, and, this, this already sounds immense. Oh, mate, honestly, like this is like so football. Yeah. <laughs> so it would have... It would be across all age groups. So you've got to bear in mind, I think there was like four groups. And then in each age group, everyone's sort of split into uh, teams. So you had like Norwich, Ipswich, Arsenal, Man United. You had four or five teams. And it was so cool because that final day, you would have, say, all those challenges gave you points. So the younger age group, they their Norwich team could be smashing it. And they could be getting so many points, but the older ones are, are really struggling. So it really balanced and worked really well. Oh, okay, okay, that's cool. So it's across age groups were per team, basically. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. The best bit, the best bit, he had this massive whiteboard, huge whiteboard, right? And he, he designed it, put um, Sky Sports, and it was almost like a website or like a newspaper uh, format. <laughs> I and, wanted to touch the detail. Oh, so honestly, good. it was so good. And then it would be like random headlines at certain points in the day. So say if, for example, one of the teams was overall leading by quite a bit yeah. um, in terms of points, you would suddenly find a headline appear um, saying such and such from Norwich, who are top of the Premier League, has refused to do a drug test and has been fined 300 points or something like that. So... It was very cleverly done in a creative way to keep it very close. And <laughs> it, oh, oh, it was so good. If my team was doing so well, and because I ran a point or two, I don't have to lose the, the tournament. But that's just me. <laughs> the, the clever bit about it was it wasn't like to that extent where it was like 300. It was lots of, it was accumulation of little things that they did and lots of clever techniques they did to keep it balanced. Right, so, right. The, the other thing they did and I loved was they did uh, transfers as well. So all of a sudden you'll find, oh, they've swapped, they've swapped teams. You get sudden breaking cool. news. It's five million swap. And yeah, it was, it was really funny. And I remember you know, they would do talent shows, obviously. that I think that's the standard for camps. You do, is you do like talent shows during lunchtime or quizzes. But I mean, that doing some of those lowest off courses and having what Andy did that was incredible that that was so much fun as a player having played in that and then having coached in that incredible fantastic so much consideration of the players there and those involved it sounds like you really felt if I was involved in that that people really cared that's really powerful I think yeah so yeah just to just to sort of move on from from where I was I just joined Kinja got sent into the summer to do my level one did my level one completed that um, which was nice uh, and then went back with went back up to London second year at uni and went and coached a I think they were under 13 girls side I coached them with Mitchell Again, such a unique experience. I don't know if you, you managed to, to to see any of our training sessions, Rob, or, or remember much around that time about I that remember, team. I remember, they were, I remember they were very fun and highly focused on player engagement and enjoyment from what I can recall. Yeah, they, again, like my middle school team, they got battered. Um, <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no denying that. They, they got battered. But you know what? what was brilliant? was the spirits that the girls had throughout and the fun that they had and the development that they showed as well. So I, I worked with that team along with Mitchell for about two years. That second season obviously is our crossover where you and I first started coaching together. The the journey they went on and, and keeping them participating in sport was so much fun. 
Um, they would openly say this. They enjoyed the journeys more than the games. So they enjoyed the fact that they would travel with us because obviously London public transport parents couldn't necessarily take the their their children to games. So me and Mitchell and you know any other coaches, we would have to go on public transport and sort of navigate our way there. And they enjoyed that time away from the pitch and they enjoyed the social stuff so much that stuff on the pitch they really didn't care about. They, I mean, obviously, they were gutted. They wanted to win games and score goals, but they, I think because they enjoyed it so much, they stuck around. And I was saying to Mitchell, and I, I'm desperate to get him on a, one of these podcasts because uh, I, I think we achieved something special that I don't think many other coaches can achieve in the sense that we, we never won a game, but we managed to get to a, a cup final and a, a semi-final. So, um, <laughs> There's a definitely story to be told from you, Mitchell, on that one. Definitely. I'm looking forward to hearing that at some point in the future. 100%. So I, I, I will keep trying. I'll bring him on because he's got some great stories. Um, but yeah, they were good. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to touch briefly on just, I guess, um, kind of point before we finish off in relation to your time at Waverley and time at Lowestoft and then Tom Kenja. Is there anything particularly different about the three clubs and what you've learned from a coaching aspect? Or, and is there anything particularly similar between all, all three as well that you notice? It's not reflecting back on your, your journey with, with all three clubs so far. Mm, that's an interesting question. I think the difference between Waveney and Kinja for me was uh, the scale. So Waveney was a much larger club. The catchment area for players was, I guess... Yeah, there was clubs nearby, but you know it was not as saturated as as London um, with Kinja, and I think that's that's a struggle that many London teams have around yeah. around that area. In terms of coaching, not you know from my personal perspective, there wasn't too much difference between the two clubs. There was little things, little nuances that were quite nice, but there was nothing that I would I would sort of write home and say this this club gave me this and this club gave me that. But what I will say is the difference in football. And I think there is there is a clear difference, for me anyway, between football in London and football back back home in Lowestoft. Just given the sheer uh, emphasis here on technical ability, the physical a- aspect as well. But those two, I think, are the, are the strong sort of characteristics that you need as a, as a, as a player down here compared to what you need as a player back in Lowestoft where you know I'm as I mentioned earlier with my goal goal uh, lifting skills you know I didn't <laughs> really need to do much weights or anything like that aside from that they're, they're all quite the same I've been lucky because I've had good coaches around me and, and been at good good clubs in good places so okay I, I think that's going to be one we can go back on one day to look at the socio-economic factors between what brings a player in London together or brings a player in another county like Suffolk together? Although, is it no competition levels are, are higher in one county than the other? Is his technique more perceived as important over physicality? Is the mental aspect the same? So, that might be no podcast altogether, really, asking yeah. a couple of county coaches. Um, I'm aware of time, so I just wanted to kind of finish up now with a couple of questions about the future, if I don't mind going into that with you, please, Danny. Yeah. Um, it's hard to predict, I know, particularly in, in current climate. Don't want to timestamp our podcast, but this is amongst <laughs> the coronavirus situation in 2020. If anyone listens in the future. Um, so, what would you say now, being quite philosophical here, what would you say now would be your, your next steps or your future plans for you as a coach or as a referee? Do you, do you see a future in this? And what are you thinking about doing next? Yeah, again, uh, great question. Thank you, Rob. The the next steps for me, I see, obviously going going off of my answer previous, uh, you know, I worked with you with a, a under 15s boys team that progressed to under 16s, then managed to guide them through to under 17s and now onto a men's team. So their their journey through youth football, I think, is now done, which is great, and I'm really pleased of the characters that we, um, and I include obviously yourself, Luke, um, who, who also coached with me and coached CJ back in the day, um, 
who we managed to, to, to discover, I guess, and develop. So, yeah, in that sense, I, I'm, I'm really pleased the fact that they've now sort of graduated into sort of men's team football. They're now ready. We've, we've done what we can to get them to this, this point. For me, uh, with Kinja, it, it remains, I guess, to be seen what we do next season. But I think the idea is we will be uh, some form of adults team, which I think is needed now for those boys, for the boys that aren't quite aren't quite ready to make that full transition to uh, our, our first side, should we say. There may need to be a stepping stone in between. Last season, as you know, Rob, I, I started assisting with the men's team as well, uh, working with Harry and uh, Luke, uh, Ollie and Vartan, all, all great people and great characters to, to learn off of. There's stuff there that I've picked up and I, I want to take into my coaching going further forward so yeah really I think the focus for the future will be on coaching rather than refing at this moment in time that's because for me I, I really enjoy working with people I really enjoy having that discussion I felt with refing you you do get that and like I say the rapport bit at the start of the game love that chatting with people throughout the game having a bit of banter with players when you can is good but it's not quite the same as working with people and getting them towards a, a common goal. So I think that's that's going to be my sort of pathway to follow. And um, you know, one I haven't really mentioned here yet uh, would be the the American school as well. I coached there. Um, again, another fantastic place to coach uh, with some really interesting characters around around me and some really good kids as well. And uh, I've had some great times there, coached in, uh, in an international tournament as well, which is quite a highlight. So, yeah, I've been quite lucky, really. And I guess the future would be to continue my development. Someone asked me about, you know, what what should be our, our approach during this lockdown. And I, I personally believe as a person, and this isn't just as a coach, but as a person, uh, you need to use this opportunity to develop yourself and become a better person. Um, because now is the time to do that and you know whatever it may be you may want to be a green grocer you may want to be one of them in which now is a good time to to learn (laughs) do a bit of research uh, and develop your green grossing skills but yeah for me I think post covid post this 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 situation this horrible situation we're in I'm looking to try and get onto a UA for big course uh, hopefully pick up that license and then longer term try and get into an academy and work my way up really um, okay. I, I want to work with the best players and, and coach at the highest level fantastic I think I think that's really good advice there I'm, I'm sure most people listening will hopefully have done something themselves with this free time self-reflect and do some training or some courses or spend some time on ourselves but yeah, touch words we, we in our lifetimes we never have a situation like this again when mm. we're unable to work um, or able to be mobile and active outside. So I guess to be the best of the situation is to, to, to use this free time to help yourself. Um, also, as well, is just use that opportunity to, to improve your mind, really, and really explore things that are away from the day-to-day rat race, like getting on the train, getting on the bus, commuting, meetings, tasks whatever it can be, there's some quiet time for us all now to mm. focus on other areas. Um, I've really enjoyed this, this, this talk so far. I'm going to finish off with one final question to you, please, Danny. Sure. Um, looking back at your coaching journey, and it's been a very long one, I didn't really realise how young you were, because you're a young man yourself right now. I won't reveal your age, but it's under the age of five, <laughs> folks. He's still a young man. Um Still get ID for a lottery ticket. Aged very, very well, folks. Aged very, very well. My question to you would be, because you had such a vast coaching journey, it has been a long one, if you could look back now and speak to that year eight, Danny, you returned from me on this, to school, going on these leadership courses and learning about becoming a coach in a very small environment at that time, but the start of it, is there anything you know now that you would say to the younger version of yourself? What would you advise? Is there anything you'd like to feed back to that version of yourself, the younger person? I, I would probably emphasise the importance on, on building those relationships with, I think at the time, 
as I, as I mentioned earlier, it was with players, which was good. So it'd be developing that further, but more so with other coaches. And that was something I, I did a little bit of back then. But, you know, compared to now, I'm picking, I'm trying to pick other coaches' brains, trying to find out what they're doing, why they're doing it. Not necessarily copying it, copying it like for like, but understanding well, what are they trying to gain by doing a certain practice or by by speaking to someone in a certain way. Um, so I think for me it would be more a case of, of that. A general a general sort of observation in terms of areas that I need to develop would be clarity, clarity and messaging, as you've probably seen from this two hour spectacle of a podcast. Um, <laughs> my, I like to ramble, I like to waffle, and that's something that you know in the heat of heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, people don't need that at times. They need clarity. To, to follow so I think that that as well and I guess really the, the the big one that I picked up more so over the last couple of months and last year would be being bold being brave to just just try a session try something and if it all goes wrong don't matter just just either adapt it to what you've got or you know you, you say okay hands up fair enough that didn't work out but next time I'm going to try and do this so I think that adaptability and self-awareness of of understanding your weaknesses and understanding what what you can fix, I think, is crucial to a coach. I I believe anyway. Excellent. I, I really like that. So you know, we can all build our relationships with, with our players. Uh, we can all learn to be a bit more succinct and clear in our in our delivery. Particularly if it's once it's something tense, we want to get uh, a three-minute conversation into one minute. How can you get into the key points? And then, yeah, we're all maybe a bit afraid of innovation or afraid of making a mistake. But sometimes the best ideas come from moving away from the script and testing yourself as a coach and as a person. So it's really good advice there. I hope young Danny appreciates that. (laughs) (laughs) I think he does. (laughs) I hope he's listening. He's probably turned off by this point. He's, he's, he's just more five three two formations of three years group. he's heard that. He's heard the three five two. He's given up. I mean, that they say to end on to, to, for that complete circle to happen, where I absolutely hated playing a three five two, and now that is the 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 go to formation I I tend to do with my sides right now, is is pretty pretty something I think, um, and you know. I think you've got to be open to just trying new things and just discovering whatever knowledge is out there, really. Fantastic. Thank you, Danny. Um, so that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Uh, thank you for your time, Danny. We appreciated it. Can you tell anyone listening right now, please, how they, they can maybe be able to follow you on social media? On Twitter, it's at DannyCook1996. Um, and then, of course, you know you, you can probably see some of my content on Halftime Cupper as well. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, you can also follow us on the Halftime Cupper Twitter. Use our handle of at halftime, all as one word, underscore cupper, C-U-P-P-A. Or you can also follow me. There's not much going on with me um, at the moment. <laughs> you want to read my daily muses on the world of sport and other things. It's um, Bobby Mann's. So at Bobby M A N Z, which you wish to follow. Uh, and as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, you're now able to catch up with all of our content on the halftimecupper.com website or on iTunes. All you need to do is search for the words half time cupper. So thanks again to our wonderful guest. Really pleased to have you on the show today, Daddy Cook. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well done, Rob. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> And I guess until next time, stay safe, stay alert, and goodbye.